listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am delighted to be here. That's how I'm doing. Fantastic. I'm delighted you're here as well. Well, look, um, well, then that makes two of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you? I, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Nice. It's a nice fall day. And... Fine autumn Halifax day. Yeah. East yeah. coast of Canada doesn't get much better than autumn. Yep. I've, and I was able to bike here this morning in short sleeves. So there. there's only a few more days of that. I love when we get to be all Canadian on this podcast and talk about weather. <laughs> It's there, there, and you, uh, you, uh, you kind of work in an, an A question almost every yes, uh, episode. Yes, I do. I've noticed, yeah. and uh, it's my shtick. Yeah, it's the thing. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> um, but uh, I am, I am really interested in what we're going to talk about today because, you know, as we talk to a lot of manufacturers, especially those that are uh, global in nature, um, but executing, you know, on the ground. In, uh, in very localized markets, obviously there's some complexities there in, uh, in terms of how you, how you roll that out and how you manage it. Yeah, and I would say that there are a couple of, uh, I don't know, almost uh, ca- different categories in, uh, of, of manufacturers. You have some who, yes, they're a global manufacturer, but they're more, um, they have more experience marketing where they've been more local. So maybe they're a German-based global manufacturer, the German marketing is very well developed. Maybe even the European marketing is very well developed, but the North American marketing is not as much. Yeah. Um, and you have obviously uh, the reverse is true for, for organizations based in, in North America, as an example. And then uh, you have others that have been global for a long time, um, but just haven't done much marketing at all, or that marketing has been very distributed or yeah, not or not centrally uh, run. For right. Sure. So as you start to and I think today's technology advancements and things of that nature uh, and, and just the marketing environment writ large, I think it, it uh, has led people to want to take a more global coordinated approach often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you say, that comes with some complexities. And I, I think today's guest is going to help us uh, uh, define some rules of the road, as it were. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. So joining us today is Ashley Riley. Ashley is the Director of Global Marketing Campaigns and Content at Nilfisk. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Ashley. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, Ashley. Uh, Nilfisk. First of all, let's, let's start with Nilfisk. What, what is it that you actually make and sell? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Nilfisk is a leading uh, supplier and manufacturer of cleaning equipment. So uh, everything from the vacuums you see at a hotel uh, to large centralized vacuum systems, um, floor care machines is the uh, core of our business. I often explain that to people as uh, if you are in a, a retail store too late at night and you hear the hum of a machine coming along behind you, that's uh, that's the kind of equipment that we make in the floor care space. <laughs> um, we're closing, please we, go. We make the yeah. approaching hum equipment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and also pressure washers is a large part of our business. Um, and we are a, a global uh, company in 40 countries with distribution in many, many more. So And, and head Headquartered where? Headquartered in Denmark. So uh, Brunby, Denmark, which is just outside of Copenhagen. Well, Ashley, it's uh, it's wonderful to have you on the show. And and can you tell us a bit more about what you do there? Yeah, sure. So um, you mentioned my title, and essentially I am responsible for uh, the campaigning and content that comes out of the global organization. 
um, that is then passed down to our field marketing experts and localized for their markets. I also run the um, what's we now consider like an in-house agency um, in terms of supporting the local and regional teams with the types of content and creative that they need as well. And how big is that team? Uh, the you know how, how big is your marketing team overall across the globe, and how big is this agency within that uh, that does the the master planning and work? Sure. So my team is about 15 people in-house. Uh, we are supported by multiple uh, vendor partners and outsourced creative teams um, across the world. So uh, the number, you know, fluctuates regularly, but um, we in-house what makes sense and we uh, partner with experts in other areas. We also have an entire digital team that is managed by um, one of my uh, colleagues, and that is a similar size team. And then once you expand, you know, globally, we have uh, regional hubs uh, that are made up of, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 people, as well as then local marketers, which is typically one to two per country. So it is a uh, diverse setup with uh, a lot of people. And um, our team also includes product marketing and all of that. So that makes us quite a large organization um, for Nilfisk. That gives us a sense of the beast we're trying to wrangle here, as it were. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so you, uh, I was just gonna say, uh, you started out, um, you know, just doing more marketing, and it, you've you've been with the organization for almost a decade now, I believe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. Exciting. <laughs> um, but you know, you you've certainly seen it all the way from doing those local campaigns now to being the director. Um, what uh, you know, what's been the most interesting thing that you've learned as as you've moved up through that organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, as you said, I started in a division in the U.S. Um, and we, you know, pretty much handled most of our own marketing ourselves, um, pretty agnostic from the global setup. And so I've watched the organization morph between centralized marketing and decentralized marketing through the last uh, 10 years or so. And what's been um, the biggest learning for me is, you know, understanding the uh, the um the specifics of each market and really making sure that if you're taking a global approach, you have to take into account what that means at a local level across a lot of different, you know, whether you have the capacity or the capability or, you know, the tools. Um, but just making sure that the global view is not a, an ivory tower type of view, that they're very ingrained in the local business and understanding, you know, what happens at a local level and having you know, hubs of experts helps with that. So maintaining that kind of trickle-down communication and understanding of the markets is the biggest learning. That's, I mean, it, that has to be um, one of the more difficult things to wrangle is the coordination of that local knowledge, the product expertise, um, you know, what products are most appropriate in which markets and, and all of that. How have you operationalize that um, transfer of knowledge? Yeah. So process, process, process. <laughs> and I uh, just recently had a new hire say, Do we, don't we talk about process too much? And my answer would be, you can never talk about process enough. And that's especially surrounding the, we use the RACI setup, of, you know, setting a, a matrix of who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted and who's informed is extremely important and that everybody understands where they fit in the puzzle 
and when they'll be consulted and what type of mandate um, each counterpart has, it, it you really can't do it enough. And, you, and it always changes. And that's the one thing you have to be willing to know is that you will set a process and, it, and then it will change and then it will change again. And that's okay as long as you have it in place and everybody kind of knows where they fit, especially in, in a matrixed organization. You know, everybody needs to know where they are on the web. It's um, this kind of notion of a transfer of, of local knowledge, et cetera. I mean, I, I guess I suppose it always happens in some way that there's oftentimes there's a, a, a local priority that's in somewhat in conflict with a, the global uh, campaign priority. There's, maybe there's a, uh, I don't know, maybe just a one area of the business is more popular in one part of the world even than, uh, yeah. than it is in another. It's how do we reconcile that as you try to go to market in a coordinated way? Yeah, I think for us, it, it has been a journey where we were, you know, very uh, local and then we swung the pendulum and tried to go quite global. And what you learn or what we've learned in that is um, that somewhere in the middle is is probably the right way to do it. And making sure that your organization is set up to support that and understand that is extremely important. So um finding that balance of global to local. Uh, so when there is a truly global priority, then you globalize that campaign. There is no questions asked. If there's something that re that's regional, you respect that it's regional and you put the resources behind it to support a regional campaign and same with local. And so respecting the need for those things is kind of part of what I was saying to begin with is understanding that it is not very frequent that you can globalize all communications, um, not only because different segments or product lines, but even the way cultures want to communicate. So in some cultures, they are very much give me the facts. I want to know the technical specifications. There's no relationship building. Right. And in other uh, parts of the world, it's very much about starting top funnel, understanding their business, selling solutions. So there's a lot of ways or re and reasons that you need to respect those local um, those local needs. And so that's part of the reason that we moved more to this type in-house agency setup because that gives us a flexibility and agility to do that instead of trying to mandate totally global messaging. I've got a couple of different questions on that, actually. <laughs> I'm going to try to remember them. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see how well I do. Um, <laughs> got a great memory. It's just not very long. Um, I, I guess it's on the one hand, uh, I think every or a lot of marketers can kind of wrap their head around the notion of uh, uh, communication tonality, sales processes being different across cultures, um, uh, and, and that's certainly true. I wonder how much the product adoption. Uh, side of it, how 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 much that's shrinking, or if you're noticing over the, your tenure with the organization that that's shrinking, it just strikes me that you know we live in a world where you know a tweak on one side of the planet can create a tsunami on the other side of the planet. I mean, communication um, doesn't really respect those borders very much uh, anymore. Um, uh, so that, and I kind of wonder if product adoption across geographies is accelerating as a result, i.e., is it maybe a little easier for Europe and, 
North America to be on the same page than it was maybe five years ago from a global uh, or from a product priority perspective? In terms of the actual products we sell or like the marketing technology we use? Yeah, more like the products that what you want to be putting in the front window, as it were, you know? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, certainly the pandemic has helped kind of make more common goals uh, for, for probably all businesses, but we are in the cleaning business. And so, and the whole world is going through the same pains. So um, that has certainly accelerated that, I think. What has been interesting, though, is to watch as some countries open and some countries close or remain closed, managing the communications there. Even imagery is difficult. It's like where in what part of the world do you wear a mask and what part of the world don't you, you know, thinking on those lines. But so in terms of product that has helped um, stabilize that for us. But again, we do have to be really respectful that there is emerging markets that are much more into a certain product line than than other markets. So. technology in terms of, you know, video and virtual demonstrations and, you know, people really coordinating more virtually has actually brought us close together, not only in our um, strategy, but also that resonates down to the products we sell. Um, So I can't say that I've I've necessarily seen it change dramatically, except with the you know, with the the pandemic impacting kind of more of a global message. Pandemic impacting everything. True. I mean, Um, it's a total understatement. The the other side of the thing that I'm happy with my memory for remembering this is that I was kind of curious, uh, as you were talking about uh, the notion of um, kind of mandating, if you will, global campaigns versus um, respecting regional uh, differences and uh, I, I, I like. I was. I found that choice of language interesting, and it, it kind of took me back to an early part of my career, actually, which I, I won't get into. But it um, it kind of knocked on the door of the same question because I operated a, a kind of an internal service organization inside a bigger uh, enterprise, and um, and I think one of the things, the challenges that you run into there, and I'm curious how you handle it, is. When are you a service provider and when are you a regulator? When are you enforcing rules versus when are you providing a service? And do you find that to be a hard uh, uh, balance beam? It is a hard balance beam. (laughs) It absolutely is. I think we're still finding um, where that balance should lie. And um, I think it does come down to what alignment does the whole business respect globally? So commercial priorities globally, um, CVI mandates, uh, tone of voice guidelines, we really kind of use our weight in those ways um, and then respect the local markets in terms of segments, product promotions, um, you know, target audiences. So it's a matter of always finding what works and what doesn't, but that I would say that's where I've found the the most success is if you're grounded in certain global priorities from a sales um, or you know CEO perspective, then that's where we align, and then you respect the boundaries locally, and you always have to abide by certain design standards and tone of voice, and so with, when we can back ourselves up with that, that's what we do, and. I'll add that the more you can do that and make it high quality, the better, right? So, you know, implementing not just a CVI, but also 
um, a corporate platform, as an example, you know, one message that everybody has some level of buy-in to globally that can be tweaked and morphed to local needs will help you maintain that global consistency while mm. respecting local needs. And that's very much the direction that we're going in now. I think that's just such a important learning. I think that our listeners can take from this is is just learning from from your approach there. This notion of when it comes to um, um, working in areas that are more, I guess, uh, nuanced regionally and locally, your tone has to change as a as the marketer to understand that you're more of a service provider than. Uh, and whereas when you're enforcing uh, corporate visual sta policy standards, you know, well, that's, that's a different deal. And yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I do, I like the notion of, frankly, if the stuff that you can enforce is of a higher quality, it probably gives you a bit better permission to talk about the other stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to have credibility going to talk to the sales organization if they don't think you have your house in order otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, stakeholder management is huge in that it's, you know, understanding bringing people along with you and that there's a definitely a certain skill set in keeping everybody engaged and, and um, feeling informed, but also consulted along the way will go a long way in adoption in the long run. I have to think so. And, and I mean, the, you know, the other part of the experience and, and the uh, materials being of high quality is, is I, I would think that you're probably using some, uh, also a, a high quality platform and experience for your local and regional teams to be able to access that kind of information. Like, you know, this isn't just uh, sent out in an email, right. <laughs> you know, the right. day before the campaign starts or something like you probably have a, a very well organized, you know, as you iterated before process, 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 uh, you know, to digitally enable the distribution of this. Correct. And we are on a journey. It's by no means um, perfect. Um, but we have recently implemented more tools to help us with that. So yeah, asset management tools, um, using uh, proper um, marketing service type communication tools where it's a there's a ticket system with um, high quality proofing capabilities. So the communication is always documented. And then a properly organized kind of shop that the local markets can come to to access materials. That is a, a journey we started about a year ago, and we're still on. Um, but you know, now we're we're at the phase of organization, proper tagging, you know, sorting, all of those kinds of things. But yeah, giving the markets the tools to find global materials and use them readily, um, you know, on the fly is extremely important. And templatizing. So we also have a really good tool where, as much as we can, we can load in, you know, web banner templates or point of sale templates that can be customized locally. So they have the ability to change only certain parts of it. So, you know, a copy into their language or a certain photo, but then it's self-service. So it is a globally supported initiative, but it's essentially self-supported. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's bit.ly slash sample ABM. Hmm. 
That's obviously uh, key to bringing this vision to, to life. And you've shared lots of, I think, other kind of best practices, if you will, in, uh, in, in this journey towards global campaign coordination. I wonder if there are any other uh, items on your list of best practices that we haven't been smart enough to ask yet that we can just uh, extract out of it. Yeah, the one that I always bring up um, because I'm I'm passionate about it and I, I helped implement the system is the CRM system. I don't want to speak for all other businesses, but I think sometimes it can be left as a sales only system or a sales supported system without um, support or understanding from the marketing team. And for me, a CRM is as important to the marketing team as it is to the sales team. There. Everything you have in there is what you need to talk to your existing customer base. And most of us get most of our business from repeat customers. So um, the more ownership marketers can take in the CRM and the data in there and the campaign management capabilities, the better. I, I just, I think there, it's certainly overlooked sometimes and even here. And um, I think that's my number one tip, um, especially in sales and marketing alignment as an overall topic, which could be a whole nother podcast, right? Um, but CRM ownership um, and sales enablement uh, is high on my best practice list. <laughs> so many marketers only want to see the CRM when they find out that the lead they brought in is now enclosed one. <laughs> well, it's a nice thing to it's, see. Oh, yeah, for sure. Let's but, be honest. But uh, yeah, I think your point, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're not if you can't get in there, uh, if you can't begin to um, glean the insights out of that uh, customer information to draw, to power your marketing, you're really, it's a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, so much info. Hmm. Yeah, it is. And taking a bit of ownership in um, even training sales in some cases on the use of the CRM for marketing, it can be very, very valuable. If, if they understand the why of needing the information in there and how it can help them, um, then they're more likely to put the information in there. And there's also a lot of ways that get overlooked of actually automating processes and, you know, almost adding headcount to your team without really adding headcount by just letting your sales team put people into campaigns or add them to email lists on their own. Um, so there's so much technology that can be used on both sides if sales and marketing know the end game and the goal together. And I think, you know, I, I think too, you know, you, you talked a bit about the, uh, the struggles and the difficulty of coordinating with a, a very distributed marketing workforce. I have to think that it, it's it, it's even another level to be able to also do that with your distributed sales force as well. Um, how you know I mean, it's it's fantastic that uh, they can leverage marketing assets within the CRM and marketing can leverage their knowledge and input um, you know about specific customers in there. But how else are you? Um, engaging with sales and, and staying in touch with them because obviously, you know, that's as important as having coordinated marketing on the ground. Absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, part of our structure and I'd recommend for any structure is not just having global marketing teams aligned, but really that alignment with sales being owned by the local and regional teams. So consistent communication um, and then, you know, as many meetings as make sense, right, to maintain that alignment is important. But I also think um, that it can really be uh, the game changer when sales enablement becomes the priority of marketing. So we can market all day. And of course, we have to do that in a broader sense. Um, but 
if the aim is to enable the sales force to then be able to sell based off that campaign or based off the tool that you've created, that is really, I think, where you can move the needle significantly um, in an organization. So yeah, I mean, I would prioritize sales enablement tools and content, you know, as my title is content, it's not just marketing content, it's sales content, virtual demonstration videos, tools to help them sell, you know, it can be all kinds of different things. But if that takes the same priority as a global campaign, then you, uh, you can really start to see the difference. That's, um, uh, I, I'm kind of, I, 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 there's no way I could ask the question without you having to kind of almost like spill secrets about what really works well with the sales enablement. So I'm not going to do that, but I, I guess just where my head was at is like, yeah. And I bet the minute you start having those kinds of sales conversations about sales enablement content, that the hooks that you use in content start to change. You probably even start to look at the marketing content differently. Um, maybe realize that some of the things you were talking about from a marketing standpoint, aren't them as important as some other items. Um, yeah, I don't I, I, So I, I, I kind of, I guess one, is that true? That's probably the easier question to answer. And then two, is there anything that surprised you there? That's that, that is just, you know, surprisingly effective that you didn't think would be, or that you can actually tell us about. <laughs> That's a great question. I, I think to answer the main part of it, it's absolutely true. I mean, the sales people, depending on how your organization is set up, are probably in front of customers every day and can really help guide your messaging and understanding of what's important to the customers. Um, I can't think off the top of my head of a specific example um, of something that surprised me, but I will say that making sure the people that you hire and the team that you build is invested in understanding those things is very important. Um, you know, with the, the kind of mantra of to know the customers and then make your business known. So that comes first, know the customers and sales is your ticket to that. Right. Um, and being willing to adjust your messaging based on their input. And that can be regionally changed as well. Um, is, would be a, a great best practice for for any company, I think. One of the things that we're seeing with a lot of organizations that are getting more experienced with, um, you know, account based revenue competencies where they have marketing and sales, or you know, they're not just well aligned, but they're working together, common KPIs, all of that sort of thing. Is that the and you alluded to this earlier? You know, the customer service organization starts to come into play with existing customers. How are you, first of all, are you, and then second of all, if you are, how are you enabling their experience in terms of, you know, leveraging content in the CRM or, or other things like that? Like, are is part of your role in marketing to assist um, the, the... That account expansion yeah, side? Yeah, that account expansion side and the current customers. Yeah, it is. And I would say don't also overlook your service team. So there's customer service sitting in-house and then your service team going out to service your equipment, which, you know, is a real, uh, could be a real amazing opportunity for cross-selling and upselling. Um, in my experience, that is very local uh, based on the skill sets of your service team or your customer service team, the capacity that they have and the capabilities they're required to have, um, that can be a very localized thing based on their local management. You know, how much are they expected to be using the CRM and aligning and upselling? And 
at least in my experience, that tends to happen on a more local level. But the more that we can push that in terms of strategy recommendation with the field marketing teams that come to us for support, the better. So the way that we handle it is making sure that we have a checklist of all of the possible opportunities you can take advantage of. Do you have advertising space on your e-commerce site? Do, does your customer service team use a certain place to resource information? Do they have access to our web shop? Can we templatize emails for people? Those kinds of things. So making sure from a global perspective, you know the right questions to ask and the ways to push the local marketers. So they're also always remembering to think of those things. Um, as I mentioned, in a lot of places, it's one or two local marketers. So you know, they've got a lot on their plates. So as much as we can remind them about the different touch points they should take advantage of, like customer service and service, uh, that's where we really try to chip in. Yeah, I think you're really, um, uh, you're really uh, smart to point out that that, uh, that field service component, the people on the ground can be a, a real bit of secret sauce. I mean, we've certainly I've seen um, uh, quite a bit of success in, in helping organizations um, uh, design that content in, in a way that just gives the field service people an excuse to have a different kind of conversation with their contact. Um, it's, sales often isn't their um, their main strength. That's not how they think about what they do, and they don't want a right. quota on their head typically. Uh, but they, as a result, they're fantastic at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're just uh, like a Trojan horse. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. It's just, it's you know, I think half of the battle. Uh, if I if so, this will be the most secret sauce that I'll give away in this conversation. Uh, I think the battle and the content there is at least as much about building the confidence of the field uh, service person as it is about convincing their target like the collateral has two audiences uh you've got to it's got to sell the messenger first and then it can uh, be messaged messaged whatever i don't know but you, you get my point hopefully yeah absolutely and um the more that you can take on the heavy lifting for them the better so if you have systems built into your crm for example that are tracking service calls or the more you can automate the communication to the direct to the end user and then use sales as kind of like you're a cog in the wheel to answer the call, right? Um, actually providing them opportunities to sell instead of expecting them to find them themselves, I think is a great way to start at least. So they, you know, so they feel supported and they're, they're more answering the question that they get asked versus position, trying to position the company to upsell or cross sell is a good first step to get in the door uh, with your service team. Really cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm curious, actually, as we kind of reach the end of uh, of, of this episode, um, you know, it's been a, a, a quite a, a journey for you over the last decade, and uh, and taking this more global role. I'd be curious, what's the what's the biggest challenge that you've encountered that you didn't anticipate? You kind of almost didn't see it coming. Yeah, that's a great one. Um... This is going to sound so simple, but the impact of translations on your business. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> like not said, simple. It's, <laughs> it's a no, it's, it's almost like a silly thing to think. And it's a very, uh, I, I often couch it as like a very uh, American perspective, right? But, um, but really understanding not only the translations, but the nuances in culture um, that 
there is a lot to it. And that's why it is extremely important that you respect the need for regional and local campaigning. It has to be there. And so, you know, I think I went into this thinking, well, of course you can global campaign. It would be great to tell everybody the same thing. But even if you can agree to tell everybody the same thing, the way you tell them has to be different. And this includes that, you know, massive beast that is translation. When you're, you know, you want to translate into 30 30 languages, even the time that takes is significantly longer than I ever expected it to be. That means you have to be prepared even sooner than you thought. So when you go into it thinking you need six months to prepare a global campaign, it's probably more like eight, right? Just from localization. Yeah, and can I just uh, just say to our listeners, please hire professional translators. Don't yes. ask your local sales and marketing teams to do the translation because they know both languages. Knowing both languages is not the same thing as being a translator. Um, I, I, I just, oh my goodness, I, I'm just, I'm on my soapbox now, but one of the um, services that we provided in that organization I was referring to earlier that where we were a service provider and a regulator, one of the services was translation. And, and that's, you know, it was very early in my career. I was like, what? Your people are certified. So this person's certified to translate from English to French, but they're not certified to translate from French to English. Explain this to me, you know. <laughs> um, you know, as, a, as a, somebody new to it, I, I just thought that was so peculiar. But of course, you know, uh, I guess of all the things, uh, if we're talking about respecting uh, uh, the regional teams, also re- respect respecting those languages means proper oh, yeah. translation. Yeah, yeah. Res- the respect. <laughs> that is given by actually, you know, wanting to ensure that you're speaking appropriately yeah. is, uh, is just massive. But it's a, it's a big investment for, for companies to make. And as they make that quest to serve global markets, I, I would I think it's a, it's a cost that most of them underestimate. So I, I really appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah, a cost in actual cost, right, for your your quality translator, but a cost in time. So if you haven't properly resourced or staffed your local team, because no matter how high quality the translation is, it still needs validated, right? So that's another additional responsibility you're adding to an already probably booked local marketer. Um, So the better and more efficient you can get at translating, also the more time you're getting from the local marketers, and also the more likely they are to actually implement the content you're giving them. Because, you know, if they don't have time to translate it or they find it as more of a weight, then less likely they are to actually use the content. Wow. That's fantastic advice. I really appreciate uh, you taking us through everything in terms of how you approach global and local campaigns, Ashley. It's fantastic. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been good to remind myself also. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.